I remember praying one prayer that I think was life-changing. It was very short, it was very simple, but it was in the dark at about 2 a.m. I prayed it often in the middle of the night uh, to chase away my fear, and it was simply this. God, if I can't die, show me how to live. I didn't know how else to wrap words around my depression, my discouragement, my fear of the future. All I could say was, God, if I can't die, show me how to live. And Colleen, to be quite honest, the last, oh, I don't know, 47 years of my quadriplegia has been a daily unveiling of God showing me how to live, one day at a time, one step at a time. But it all began with that short, simple prayer. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. I have the most fantastic honor of introducing our guests to you, Johnny and Ken Erickson Tana. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, Colleen. I think it is absolutely amazing. Would you have ever imagined that you would be where you are today? Oh, my goodness, no. Um, Colleen, I don't know where I would be. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I would never even dreamed that I'd be doing what I'm doing. Hmm. Uh, 35 years ago, um, I had just finished doing uh, the Johnny movie, yes. uh, which was produced by the Graham Association. Uh, the Johnny book was out, and I had started to receive letters letters from people who were struggling with depression, letters from people who were wondering about miraculous healing, um, letters from parents wondering how their church could get uh, better supportive of their special needs family. And I just wanted to be a good steward of all those many questions. And so I started Johnny and Friends in 1979. Uh, we were in a little um, suite of offices, just a staff of four of us answering letters and doing small workshops here, there, and everywhere around the country to help churches get on board with this outreach to people with disabilities. And it's grown since then, and I'm so grateful to God. When I first read what Lisa sent me, your assistant, about the last 35 years of ministry, I said to my husband, one of the most fascinating things is that for a person who is in a chair and unable to move, God has done so much work and there are so many people who feel inadequate or unable because of a disability or because of an illness. And yet you are a shining example, Ken and Johnny, for honoring the Lord with your lives. And I want to say thank you. I um, emailed my dad. He has a special message for you before we get into more of our stuff. He said, tell them I used them in my message last Sunday. And he did. It was great. It was from your book on marriage. Tell them the illustration is an example, an excellent example of vulnerability when Ken openly acknowledged his inability to care for Johnny on his own and that he needed others to help him do so. Your mother and I are crazy about that couple. Give them a <laughs> big hug. <laughs> so here's I love well, thank you. Wow, what a big honor. Oh my goodness. Here's your big hug. It's good to hear those good words. Yes. I'm going to start out by saying, uh, given a military term, 
when my dad was in the military and we'd sit around and hear his stories, he said one of the things they did in the military when they were going to go and invade a place was to knock out communication, transportation, sanitation. And that would paralyze a city or an area. I did a small poll and I wanted to find out what knocks people out in their lives from serving the Lord or from their illnesses or um, things that stop them from being able to um, minister. And I made a list, identity issues, grief, worry, isolation, financial concerns, the loneliness of it all, when to let go and when to hang on, feeling misunderstood and judged, guilt, the paperwork, not hearing their child's voice, the future, exhaustion, diets, time, and the unknown. When you 50 years ago gave your life to the Lord, Johnny, would you have ever expected a few years later that you would be in a hospital being turned a little bit at a time? And what went through your mind as you experienced a totally different thing from what you probably expected? Well, let me back up a bit. You're right. It was 50 years ago that I prayed to receive Jesus as my savior. I was only 14 years old, but Colleen right away um, as a teenager, I had thought I had done God a great big favor <laughs> by accepting Jesus as my savior. Of course. You know, he was um, somebody I tucked in my back pocket and, and uh, my prayers were pretty much self-focused, self-centered. Everything was about, you know, me, me, me. And yet I wanted a closer walk with Christ. Mm -hmm. I wanted my life to make a difference somehow for the kingdom, but I could not break free of um, that self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. I remember praying a prayer right before I graduated from high school. And in it, I said, Lord Jesus, I, I'm making a mess of this Christian life. Would you please do something in my life to jerk it right side up, to turn it around? So help me, Lord. I give you my life. I'm not running it right. I want you to run it. And then maybe two months later, I took that dive into shallow water and broke my neck. And lying there in the hospital, um, after doctors told me that I would never use my uh, hands, I would never be able to walk or run, lying there paralyzed, contemplating a lifetime existence of quadriplegia, I was so overwhelmed. I Really, my mind could not even wrap around the reality. And I remember thinking, God, this can't be an, this can't be an answer to my prayer to be drawn closer to you. How in the world, how in the world is your will ever going to be worked out through this? And um, I remember praying one prayer that I think was life changing. It was very short. It was very simple. But it was in the dark at about 2 a.m. I prayed it often in the middle of the night uh, to chase away my fear. And it was simply this. God, if I can't die, show me how to live. Mm. I, I didn't know how else to wrap words around my depression, my discouragement, my fear of the future. All I could say was, God, if I can't die, show me how to live. And Colleen, to be quite honest, the last, oh, I don't know, 47 years of my quadriplegia has been a daily unveiling of God showing me how to live mm -hmm. one day at a time, one step at a time, 
um, and I'm not finished yet. I got a long way to go, but it all began with that short, simple prayer. Isn't it so common that when we give our lives to Christ, we kind of expect the expectations. My dad says, keep your expectations low and you're rarely disappointed. However, when we give our lives to Christ, it's easy for us to expect he's going to be our helper and that, you know, we'll give him a little help too, as if we need to and can. And yet he chose something so shocking And then it's been a daily experience. We walk by faith and not by sight. Many of us want to pray the prayer that you did, show me how to live. And you're telling me he has shown that to you just moment by moment and not year by year. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. It's moment by moment for sure. Um, For instance, even now, and maybe you and some of our viewers can hear it in my voice. I'm getting over a cold and my lung capacity is not at at 100%, I operate at about a 50% lung capacity. And just even sitting here talking, I'm fighting off panic that I can't get a good breath. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and that coupled with just the, the everyday challenges of not having hands at work, it, it's, it's a moment by moment. Jesus, I cannot do this. I can't, I cannot do this. You're your strength, your ability, your resources are going to have to help me do this. Mm. So please, Jesus, I can't do quadriplegia, but I can do all things through you as you strengthen me. And, and Colleen, I do think that's the Christian way to live. Yep. Second Corinthians chapter one, the apostle Paul's talking about facing hardships far beyond his ability to endure. Yes. And then he adds this in the ninth verse. He says, but these things happen that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Yes. So these things happen, the the quadriplegia, the disappointment, the heartache, the bad medical report. These things happen that we might not rely on ourselves, but on him uh, on a day-to-day basis. So it's uh, it's this quadriplegia is a strange, strange friend, but it is a friend in that it pushes me into the arms of Jesus every moment. How did you learn to befriend your suffering? I remember when I had cancer a few years ago, somebody scolded me for calling it my cancer. And I thought about that and I realized, (laughs) you know what, it it is my cancer. This is my reality. This is my challenge. God has given this to me and he has entrusted it to me because he believes that with his grace, Somehow, some way, I'm going to get through this. And not only will it benefit me and others around me, but it'll glorify him. It's my problem. It's, it's my quadriplegia. It's my wheelchair. It's my spinal cord injury. It's my cancer. It's even my chronic pain. Uh-huh. Um, I think when we embrace the God who can be found smack dab in the middle of these awful things, um, they become ours in a strange but beautiful way because we see in them um, the gateway to a closer, more intimate walk with Christ. Yes. My brother, who, as you know, is a cancer survivor, and he said one of the things he learned from cancer was to walk towards fear, or to walk towards the future without fear. Mm. Because he would just trust what he could not control. 
Now, what I have on here is a timeline, 1967 to 73, was from the beginning of the accident to the first start of ministry, and you worked with Billy Graham at the crusade. And in my notes that I have written here, you made a statement. God tells us, Romans 8, 28, that all things fit together into a pattern for good. My spinal cord injury may not be good, but God is using it for a good purpose. And part of that purpose is to tell you tonight that I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing him than on my feet without him. What does working all things together for good mean? Because that is so often misquoted, thinking it's a good for comfort or happiness or healing, when it can be not that at all. Well, thankfully, it's God's responsibility to work all those bad things in our lives into some pattern for good, much like the, um, hold on, I got a cough. That's fine. <clears throat> Keep pushing me just a bit, hon. Sorry about this. Do not be sorry. <laughs> There you go. Way to go, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have my purposes. I'm just not eye candy. <laughs> I, 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 I can tell you how many times I've been on the platform speaking, and I've, I've had to call Ken up out of the front row, right, Ken? And Come that, help me. That little piece of eye candy walks up and just does what he needs to do. <laughs> You're pretty good looking eye candy, Ken. <laughs> anyway, this whole thing about working together for good, that's really God's responsibility. But sometimes we think the pattern for good is, um, oh, I don't know, good emotions, a good outcome, a marriage that is working, um, a career that's fulfilling, a body that is healthy, a mind that thinks clearly, emotions that don't become frazzled. Rarely is the, quote, pattern for good reflected in um, better circumstances or a healthier body or a happier marriage or a more fulfilling career. Mm. It's, in, it's in the struggles that God um, works out his good. And the good mm -hmm. is defined in the very next verse. Romans 8, 29 says that, um, that these things work together for a pattern for good to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's the key. God wants us to be merciful to others who offend us. God wants us to be patient in the midst of affliction. God wants us to have hope in the realities of heaven in the midst of heartache. Um, these are the things that make us like Christ. When we become more merciful or more gentle or kind or compassionate, most of all, when we hate sin in our life, when we get rid of sin, sinful thoughts and actions and attitudes, selfishness, self-centeredness, and there's nothing like a marriage to make you more like Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. And I think Ken would probably say a thumbs up to that as well. So it's a long, arduous process. My spinal cord injury was not a quick jolt to get me back on spiritual track. It's been a long, rigorous process of becoming more like Jesus. Ken, what would you say to that, what she just said about marriage? And I know we talked a lot about last year in the book and how honest and wonderful you were in saying it has been an arduous process. What have you learned through all this? Through the marriage? Um, life is hard. Marriage is hard. We just hope happen to have a disability in our marriage. But without Jesus in our marriage, um, I don't know how you'd make it.
And uh, there's difficult times that I think both Johnny and I have gone through where we don't meet each other's expectations. And so, you know, oftentimes we know well enough that, that we need us to stop and pray. There's a, there's a battle going on, yes. a spiritual yes. battle. And, uh, you know, Satan can't be happy with, with uh, Christian marriages today. So we're not any different than a lot of folks out there that get, have big targets on our backs. And so we just need to be aware of that. And uh, when those times and opportunities happen that we can get together, Johnny and I just stop and pray. I think prayer is really, really powerful. That's one thing we've learned. You know, that's one thing. It's so I'm so grateful to you for, Ken. You, you're amazing in that we stop and pray often. Mm. When we get in the van in the morning, mm. uh, as Ken is driving me to work, he'll start praying mm. out loud in the van. And then I'll follow suit and I'll pray or we'll sing a hymn together. And when we leave work at night, um, we start up the engine, pull out of the parking lot and we start praying, um, heading to dinner. We'll pray again. Um, throughout the course of the day, Ken often stops and says, we need to pray. Yes. And we will. Yes. And sometimes it's uh, it's short, it's brief, but it's sincere and from the heart. And I'm I'm very grateful to you, Ken, for taking that. No, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to you. But, you know, Colleen, the other thing that I think that has helped Johnny and I these past eight years, it didn't happen at the beginning of our, our marriage. Mm. But we, we've discovered that reading the Bible, reading the Word together is very, very powerful. Yes. And so for eight years now, each year, we've uh, committed to reading the Bible together. Uh, last several years, we've been doing it chronologically, which has been kind of interesting. Um, but, you know, we purpose to do it every night and we have a little set time that we can do that. Sometimes it's busy, so we might have to double up uh, on a, another day, but uh, we, we have committed to do that with each other. And I think it really has brought us that much closer together. Absolutely. Um, I love it that we'll get out some resource books or some biblical maps or some yeah. commentary. Well, tell Colin, you know, you know, we have a, a book about the tabernacle. I mean, it, it's a picture book. It, it actually breaks it down and it talks about all the various parts of the tabernacle. So uh, we are in Exodus right now. Huh. And uh, it is fun for both of us to, to actually see it visually as we are reading it. And it, it's made a huge difference. And, and it's just the practice of reading the word of God, hearing what God has to say, um, stopping and, and and researching answers to the questions we might have. I think just being in the word together as a couple. In fact, I often want to read and tell him, well, he won't let me. <laughs> Why don't you let me read? How come I never get a chance to read? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to call a marriage counselor? Because I'll find one. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up. The, just this morning on the way to school with Jonathan, he was wanting um, to talk about some games and some video games that he likes playing. And some of them are not what I would approve of because they are good and evil and evil is ever present in them. And he goes, mom, I'm almost 17. When I'm 17, I can play these. And then he goes on to try and convince me of this. Well, I reached over and I touched his heart and I said, John, let's ask Jesus if that is a good game for you to play. And I want you to listen to what he says to you because he's going to talk to you. 
And then he gave me a bunch of reasons why he needed to play it. I said, no. What is Jesus saying to you about that game? His response was worry. Oh. And I said, then is Jesus worried about you playing that game? And he looked at me and he gave me another bunch of excuses and he leaned over and I touched his heart again. I said, Jesus, are you worried about Jonathan playing that game? And he looked at me through his glasses like, oh, crud. <laughs> and he said, Mom, <laughs> Jesus is worried about me playing that game. Wow. And I said, well, John, then we need to not play that game. What you're talking about is an integration of every experience and hearing what God has to say to us through that. We cannot. You know, Colleen, I've, I've got to stop and say that was such a wise and a thoughtful and a reasoned, I think the best word, that was such a prudent way mm. for you to handle that situation. Mm. Uh, to not let fear or the anxiety of a mother's heart overcome, um, but but to, with with reasonable sweetness, handle the situation with grace and with thoughtfulness and prudence. Boy, thumbs up for the way the Holy Spirit guided you to do that. Well, thank you, it was him. It wasn't me because as you said, sometimes I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. And society certainly has plenty of messages, doesn't it? When you first began healing, you started drawing with your mouth. Well, I'm gonna tell you something, Colleen. I am, I am left mouthed. I am, I am not right mouthed. If you put the hmm. pens on the right side of my mouth, I can't spell my name. I can't write, I can't draw. Hmm. I have to hold the brushes and the pen on the left side, left side of my mouth. That's so strange to me. Well, the I brain think is it's fantastic because I drooled all over my paper. So there you have it. Another question I want to ask is, how did you begin to discover ways of functioning in a completely different situation than you ever expected that was lifelong? I think, I think remembering the big picture, mm. that's the little mantra that Ken and I share with one another. Um, he'll often say to me in the middle of a disagreement or a sticky situation, an uncomfortable situation, Johnny, what's the big picture? Mm. And I've been doing that all my life. Every time I become fearful, overwhelmed with anxiety, every time I sense I'm becoming small-minded, mm. when my soul begins to feel shriveled and everything closes in, I ask myself, Johnny, what is the big picture? Mm. And the big picture is this life as we know it is not gonna last forever. Mm. We're not gonna be able to take much to eternity with us except for the relationships that we build with those around us. Our responsibility is not only to God, but to encourage and build up our family and friends around us. We are called to think uh, more of the interests of others than we are ourselves. Now, I just start rehearsing one by one by one. Mm -hmm. all, the, all the big picture um, principles that that I tend to forget Yes. because life and it's, it's so ordinary, it's so banal at times, it becomes so mediocre and you can get so small minded, your vision becomes shrunken and you forget that God's got you here for a purpose, mm. that today, right now, this moment is brimming over with purpose. Mm. So stop and open your eyes and remember the big picture 
and look for God's purpose in it, and then agree to strategically partner with him in realizing whatever that purpose is for that moment and start living it. And, and that is a discipline, wouldn't you say, Ken? Oh, yes. I think we have to remember the big picture. And the big picture is Jesus and the Jesus in our lives and being able to share that with others. Um, there are times on the everyday uh, you know, routine of life that uh, things are difficult, but you know, it, it, we just stop and uh, remember the big picture. It's pretty simple. Pretty simple. We, were, we, were, we remember that argument we had in Boston. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was a good one. Um, really? Do tell. I think most couples can relate to this. And, you know, my wife, I mean, it's the right brain, left brain, uh, the guy versus the girl, you know. My idea, Johnny wanted to, to we're going to ha have dinner. So I said, well, great. You know, why don't you look it up on the GPS and then, you know, we'll go to dinner. Well, her idea was the shortest distance would be right into the middle of Boston and, and uh, at rush hour. Yeah, the whole point of getting off the freeway to find a place to eat was to avoid rush yeah, hour. Yeah, I mean, at least go out of the, t the city just a little bit and then get off and then we'll find a place to eat. He was but so no, this is in the middle of downtown Boston <laughs> where you were, it was traffic jam all the way off the off ramp and into the city. So finally we find a place to park and he is so mad at me, he's so irritated. And, uh, and you can't we, hit him. <laughs> we kind of you know, told our friends to move on, go ahead into the restaurant, get a table for us, we'll be there in a few minutes. And we, we stood on that street corner, that busy street corner, just standing there by ourselves, um, not saying a thing for a good many minutes. And in our stubborn quietness, with each of us giving each other the cold shoulder, uh, finally, uh, Ken said, what's the big picture? Let's talk about the big picture. And then we just started rehearsing out loud what the big picture was, um, that Satan has a target on our back, that he hates Christian marriages, that he would love nothing more than to get us stuck in self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and and that helped, didn't it? To remember I, the big I think picture. The, I think the other thing that really helps, Colleen, is is to bring it from the darkness into the light. Yes. And sometimes these things can fester, and they can just get to any married couple. But unless you actually discuss them, I think Ephesians is is you know wonderful for uh, married couples when it talks about never letting the sun go down on your anger. Well, you know, Johnny and I oftentimes use that for the moment as well as for the whole day because it's so easy, so easy for all of us just not to confront the situation but to kind of push it down until the next time it pops up. And sometimes the next time it pops up, it's even worse because of the fact that you're carrying all this baggage around with you. Yeah. So we try to get, get the bigger picture out there as best we can, as often as we can. Um, I was speaking with someone yesterday, actually, who helped uh, contribute to Beyond Suffering with Pat Verbal, the Beyond Suffering program. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about that. Well, uh, Beyond, Beyond Suffering is an online uh, course that we offer through our Christian Institute on Disability. And uh, we've had scores of people around the world complete this course of study. Uh, it delves into questions about the sovereignty of God, just how and to what extent is God sovereign over diseases, deformities, disabilities, 
So uh, the course centers on that. The course centers on uh, questions about miraculous healing. Does God or does God not miraculously heal uh, these days? Um, it also deals with um, your church and helping your church uh, reach out to special needs families. So it's a wonderful course. And um, it's for anybody who is interested in pursuing um, a degree uh, in perhaps biblical studies. Uh, we offer continuing education credits uh, to um, many college students. And we work with various universities around the country in fitting into their courses of study. So it's, it's a great, great course. Uh, and I would recommend our friends just go on our website at johnnyandfriends.org and check out our, our online course. It is Beyond Suffering, and it's, it's really excellent. You know what? It really is. I read the chapter on autism already, and that was fabulous. In addition to Beyond Suffering, you have some journals that you are starting to promote, and you have smaller packets as well. But tell me more about those journals. Well, it's the Journal of the Christian Institute on Disability, mm -hmm. and these are essays and reports that deal with all kinds of topics related to disability. Um, there is an effort afoot to uh, track the genetic markers of, uh, of people on the autism spectrum, mm -hmm. uh, especially unborn children, mm -hmm. and um, is the strategy to promote more abortions yes. of children who could be suspect of having uh, autism. Um, we have research papers on questions and topics like that. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about the genocide of uh, children with Down syndrome and that um, so many more mothers-to-be are aborting yeah. their child with chromosomal deficiencies um, merely based on an amniocentesis report. And so this means that now nine out of 10 children with Down syndrome are aborted. Well, this is a, a genocide among this population and uh, what implications will that have to young people with down syndrome growing up today so there, there are all kinds of issues all kinds of topics related to healthcare reform yes uh, topics that have to do with uh the triage of healthcare dollars how we can apply how we can apply biblical ethics um in our hospitals and in our workplace and our uh, in our doctor's offices, how to choose good doctors mm. that share your life values, that really practical information that I think our friends uh, viewing in would really enjoy. One of the things I really enjoyed seeing in the journals is that you also include divorce and you include other situations that involve suffering, not necessarily just disabilities, because our suffering is beyond our body's inability to do something or our brain's inability to do something. Suffering is about losing what we expected and grieving that. Sometimes grief is for the rest of our lives. But it includes things beyond just a disability. It can include death, a loss of a child, divorce, loss of expectations, isolation, depression, mental health issues. And you cover all of those. And I want to thank you for doing that. Oh, wonderful. And, you know, I, I want to thank um, churches like, well, your church, Stonebriar mm -hmm. Church, uh, down there in Frisco. You, you, you friends at Stonebriar, I think, are setting such a model for um, helping all families understand the broad spectrum of suffering and how sufficient 
God's grace really is. Yes, I love the story you started out with when you um, considered the Christian Institute on Disabilities, that you were actually hearing of a Down syndrome situation where a mother was being given the option to choose what would happen should her child be born with Downs. In fact, latest what I've heard recently is there's a 50% false positive for the amniocentesis on Downs. And I did just read, they're studying that on autism as well, to do a genetic test and then for parents to choose. What do we do with that in Psalm 139, where God has made us unique? How do you talk to that issue? That's right, that's right. Um, the Bible talks about the hand of God's sovereignty extending even into the womb mm -hmm. um, in Psalm 139. Uh, we're told that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, David speaks about, uh, speaks to God about how, quote, when you, quote, knit me together yeah. in my mother's womb. And I love that, that verb knit. Uh, that's a great word picture of what, it likes, what it's like when those, those XY chromosomes come together mm -hmm. and knit together to create a new human being. Mm -hmm. And this human being is created in the image of God. And, um, you know, when a child is born with severe or multiple disabilities, sometimes we think that the image of the creator is marred in his life. Mm. But we need to remember that, that to be created in God's image is not so much to do with our rationale or our ability to think clearly. Um, it has nothing really, not that much to do with our intellect. To, to be created in God's image is to be loving, to be caring, to be joyful, to uh, persevere, mm. to endure. And, and children with disabilities do this exemplary, that they're, they're exemplary models of, of reflecting what it means to be created in the image of God. So it's not a matter of this rationale and the intellect so much as that is a matter of character. And surely Colleen, as the mother of a, of a young man with uh, Down syndrome, you, you definitely see that, how Jonathan is created in the image of God. He teaches me something every single day. I think it's, there you go. it's that we as parents or society need to choose to see that differently. Um, that brings me to something I just found today while the Olympics are going on about an Olympian named Alex. And I can't pronounce his last name very well because he's Canadian and there's I think you guys might have seen the video on it. I don't know if I sent it to you. Did you see it? Is this the, is this the young man whose brother has cerebral palsy? Yes, it is. So I, I watched the video and then typed out the text and watched and typed. And here's what he has to say about his brother and about being an Olympian for the third time over. He says, my brother brings me to reality. He had dreams just like you and I. Most are not realistic to him you kind of learn to live his dreams through the people who are around him. Frederick has CP. Over the years, movement has become more difficult to him, but he still continues however he can, and they show a picture of them playing chess together. And of course, Frederick is winning, which is wonderful. His father says the reason we're so kind together is because Frederick wakes up and says, oh, we are so lucky. That is the reason that we have learned to be kind. His mother says we're always in a good mood. 
but he is always in a good mood, always happy, always smiling, always full of joy. As the two sat on the sofa together, here his brother was C.P. Frederick and this Olympic athlete who can ski the moguls like nobody's business. He says, sitting on the sofa holding hands, there's one thing I'll always remember all my life the night before my race. My brother sits in a wheelchair and I ask my mom, mom, do you think I would be here today if, and then he just stopped and started crying. I will always have the image of him, my brother. And I think if he were not in the chair, he would be a three-time Olympian over because of his determination. Right after the flower ceremony, the prime minister of Quebec and my brother stood next to each other and the prime minister reached out his hand to congratulate him. And he said, one second, my brother is who I need to talk to first. And they show a picture of his brother reaching, him out, reaching out saying, I love you, with his hands bound up. A lot of people recognize me when I'm on the street, he says, but a lot more recognize me when I'm with my brother because Frederick has inspired them. He is the true Olympian. Love that story. In fact, my eyes are wet just listening to you talk about it. I, I heard him on the... Uh, television the other night uh, after he had uh, meddled in his um, in his race and he described how there are plenty of mornings when he doesn't want to get up he doesn't want to go to the ski slopes he doesn't want to put on his gear and go practice but then he turns his shoulder and looks at his brother who's um, who's just giving it all to push his own wheelchair and that inspires him to get up and get out and get going because he, it just is such a perfect picture of how blessed he really is to enjoy all the functioning ability that he has. It's quite a story. It is quite a story. Um, Ken, you are a caregiver. And I found that there are some Olympic athletes that you also compete in as a caregiver. Uh, the first one is wrestling, administering liquid vitamins and medicine to kitchen, from the kitchen and trying to keep the taker from escaping. As a caregiver, you also compete in the slalom, maneuvering a person in a wheelchair through a particular, through a partially accessible, very crowded building. You're a weightlifter, deadlift a 50 pound person, swing them around, carry them on your back until the race continues or until you get up the hill. You're a triathlete during dinner bath time and getting dressed. You do a biathlon by filling out a 50 page patient history questionnaire from memory <laughs> and shoot down the obstacles that come with the insurance coverage. You do the loop. Well, give me, what? Give him a gold medal. I, I know these are all Olympic athletes for caregivers. You do the luge remaining calm and perfectly still while a person repeatedly shouts, you're a really useful engine directing into your ear, the last competitor to crack wins. And then the hurdles, you race across a darkened room filled with furniture and sharp corners, scattered Legos on the floor, cups full of ice water without making a noise. Ken, you are an Olympian as a caregiver. Yay! Boy, Colleen, I've never, never heard it quite like that before. I'll send it to you. But uh, you know something? That is very cool. I, did you do that? Did you oh, write that? No, I got it off of a blog. <laughs> uh -oh. but it I, was great. I will send but it to I, you. I have to tell you, just as that young 
you, you know, the story that you had just re read, that this is my hero right here. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> there are times where I get tired and uh, when things are harder than, you know, I think I can take, but I start thinking that Johnny doesn't have a choice. And, uh, you know, her attitude and, and, you know, she's in pain all the time and how she deals with it is, is truly amazing. So, you know, talk about, about warriors and, uh, just like perhaps that one skier, the Canadian skier, but I can look at Johnny and think, man, you know, I don't have it so bad. So it's a good reminder. And uh, I've often said to the guys, my friends who, you know, are outdoorsmen, you know, if we go to war, spiritual war, spiritual battle, that I'd want Johnny in my foxhole, she'd be the first one I'd ask. And uh, because I know she'd have my back. And, and I know that. And Ken, one, one little um, aspect of the big picture here is that you are enlarging your eternal estate. Every time you persevere, every time you endure, every time you move forward through the tough times, you are enlarging your eternal estate. You are building and investing in your kingdom um, for all of eternity. And it's my privilege to cheer you on. I'm like the uh, uh, Olympic bystander in the audience in the crowd clapping and cheering and praying for you and encouraging you, we can do it. Yep, we can, we can do, do it. it with Jesus. We can do it with Jesus. And I don't know how else we could do it. As a caregiver, Ken, because some of my work this year is to really focus on caregivers, having had some compromised health issues myself and not taking care of myself as I needed to, which is very easy to happen. I'd like you to speak to those who will see this. When I asked the question, the hardest part about disabilities to caregivers and to the disabled, not one of them mentioned a wheelchair, a crutch, not being able to see. They mentioned the things I read earlier, the loneliness, the rejection, the judgment, the betrayal, the grief and worry. I would love to hear you talk to those who are there right now, because you are there too at times, as you just said. Yes, we're fortunate to have friends, but I think if I were to list a couple of things that I, I know would be helpful. One, you can't do this by yourself. And I'm not just talking about Jesus. I'm talking about some real friends. I, and. Um, I've got some some guy friends that are are uh, firmly planted in their their walk with with Christ, and you know, I can call them up any time. But uh, they know, and especially back in 2010 when Johnny was going through her cancer journey, I mean they were calling me every day. Um, I think you know for caregivers caregivers need time. I mean that time away from whatever the situation happens to be. I mean, it can be a moment. It could be 
uh, just walking around the, you know, the, uh, the neighborhood. The importance of exercising. The importance of exercising. I think, I think, you know, whatever form of that may take for that person, you know, being able to move those endorphins around and just get out there and just exercise can be very, very helpful. Um, certainly, uh, you know, the word of God, you know, I mean, I, I know that, uh, that, that God and I had some long conversations, especially back in 2010 when Johnny was first diagnosed with cancer. But uh, developing that kind of a conversation and being able to really just talk and, and, and share and, and uh, I think it was very important. Mm. And I, I kept on hearing the message from, from God, do not be afraid. And um, that was the, the, the message that kept on being repeated as I was going through that, that time with, with uh, Johnny's cancer. Mm. So, you know, there's, if, if you open up, look at the bigger picture, are able to really kind of give that focus, be surprised, <clears throat> excuse me, how, how Jesus can speak into your heart. Just much as your example about prayer, it, I mean, you can find that it's going to happen in ways that you would never believe. And there's that reassurance and that affirmation that things are going to be okay. Um, as a caregiver, I can, I can share one story that was truly unbelievable. There, are, there were a number of these, but the very uh, week that Johnny had her operation uh, for, for, cancer. for cancer, this is the mastectomy, uh, we had some friends over on the the weekend. She was uh, had the operation on Monday. We were having friends over on the weekend. They are going to be over on Sunday. So, and it was our wedding anniversary that Saturday. Saturday, uh, <laughs> July the 3rd was our wedding anniversary. Best wedding anniversary we, we've ever had. Everything stopped. We just sat in the backyard and were able just to talk. And we listened to the breezes coming through the trees and watched the hummingbirds. And I mean, it was just very, very cool. I mean, our lives are very busy normally mm. and you know july we'd be traveling and doing a lot of things and just everything just stopped so <clears throat> that in mind um johnny was in bed and i said to johnny you know i think i'm going to go get the, uh, the the cushions for the patio furniture uh out now so that i don't have to worry about it in the morning she said great so normally i wouldn't get in my car i have to go into the garage to move the car back to get the cushions. So normally I wouldn't do that in the evening, you know, once we're, you know, we're in. And so I went in, I turned the ignition over and I heard Johnny's voice. And I thought, oh, I don't have a CD. I don't have Johnny's CD. And then I realized just in that moment, it was Johnny's devotional. On the radio. On the radio. And, you know, wow. okay, well, I'm going to go in and I'm going to go put the, put this on the radio for Johnny to hear, but, you know, because her devotionals are short, I figured, well, I'm going to miss this if I do that. Mm -hmm. So I decided to back the car out and I would just listen. <clears throat> well, not only was this Johnny's devotional, but her devotional was talking about praying for our caregivers. And, and uh, she said, you know, those many years ago, 1967, when she broke her neck, um, she wanted to pray, you know, we need to pray or her, how her mom had affected, you know, effectively been her caregiver. Mm. We need to pray for those people. 
And I thought, what a neat message that God would give me at this moment. Yeah, on a, our wedding anniversary, what are the odds of you getting in the car, turning on the ignition, and all of a sudden you hear your wife's voice on the radio, and it actually was on a station that does not carry my devotional programs. It was just a fluke that this this uh, devotional happened to be aired, and uh, and yet it was a message yeah, I mean, just I, for you. I don't know what the odds of a that would be. For you. I love Trillion it. to one, uh, you know. I mean, uh, that just doesn't happen. That was fun. Nice but time. it was nice just it was just that affirmation that I was mentioning that when we allow ourselves those opportunities it's amazing how god will speak into our lives that's a miraculous thing um you're talking about the bigger picture god can do anything and i can say that but when that actually happens like her voice shows up on the radio that it's not carried on usually you have to say lord thank you for that because I needed that today. And I tell people, pray that God will show up in your life today. And he will, but you have to be looking for that bigger picture. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a proactive um, sense that all of us need to have. I mean, you know, if we sit back and not aren't aware, it's not going to happen. So it takes, it takes some practice. I would also like to say that, Johnny, your ministry has gone all over the world through the family camps, through the wheelchairs for the world, through the books, um, the radio ministry, the blogs. I love your blog. I get it every day. And I love your Facebook page. And I love how you handle all of that. How have you kept your heart from becoming angry at times this is for you and ken or for those human emotions that can seep in when what our lives experience are so different from what society uh is free to experience well every morning um i ask god to give me a hymn mm. today's hymn was and i almost i almost prayed this at the top of our time together have thine own way lord have thine own way Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am yielded, peaceful and still. And I sing that all throughout the course of the day. It's always coming in my heart. It's always going through my head. And for me, Colleen, it's a way of, quote, praying without ceasing. Yes. It's a way of constantly being reminded, have thine own way, Lord Jesus. There's a marvelous voice in, verse in scripture um, that talks about sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord Jesus, um, giving thanks to the Father for everything. And I think when you have a grateful spirit, um, singing and the ability to lift your heart in song to the Lord Jesus is is uh is easy to do so for me the way i keep weariness at bay discouragement um frustration i keep those hymns in my heart god changes them up every single day tomorrow will probably be some other hymn but today it's been have that own way lord and that's just the way i live and it's a i think it's a good way to live i think it's an amazing way to live in fact when my dad used you all as this 
as an example on Sunday, he was talking about Paul and he was in Corinthians. Second Corinthians, of course, is one of my favorite books. And you just mentioned chapter one. And then he went into, um, then he went into where Paul is talking about all that he has gone through, the floggings and all of the near death experiences. And he calls himself the pot, the clay pot with all those cracks. Here's Paul, knows so much, and yet he refers to himself, like you just sang, the clay pot. And the more cracks that there are, the more light shows through. Mm-hmm. How can we get our churches on board to allow, to accept, to welcome, to celebrate how many cracks that we have? Well, you know, most people in the world sit in the middle of life's joys, dreading the coming sorrows. But Christians are able to sit in the midst of life's sorrows and taste the coming joy. We need to show people in our churches. We need to help people in our churches understand how to embrace the God who can be found in suffering. How suffering is not something to erase out of the Christian's dictionary. Uh, you know, we, we, we must not try to always um, get rid of it, institutionalize it, divorce it, surgically exorcise it, ibuprofen it. You know, we do everything to suffering but live with it. We need to learn how to live with it and learn how to embrace the God who can be found in the midst of it. I think when we do that, um, there is a sweeter, more deeper union with the Lord Jesus in his own suffering. We begin to identify that Jesus is not only a man of sorrows, but he is the Lord of joy in the midst of his sorrow. And that will enable us to really appreciate the hardships that other people go through, especially those with disabilities. So I think it's a right view of suffering. And let's forget this culture of comfort, which has infected us with its own media messages of getting rid of suffering and suffering is no good and there's nothing um, helpful to be found in it. And let's look to the word of God to see what God says about suffering. I think that would help our churches a great deal. I do too. Have you found a verse anywhere in scripture where it says we're going to be free of suffering? I don't think so. But in heaven, he's going to close the curtain on it all. Can't wait for that day. But until then, there's plenty of purpose to be found in the midst of it. It is promised. In fact, in um, Paul Brand's book, The Gift of Pain, I might have referenced this last year, where he says pain is the fire alarm. Um, like the house and the smoke detectors. Take out our smoke detectors and our house burns up and we could die. Pain is a gift that says something is wrong in our lives. And we only can have Jesus who can help us with that. Um, I want to congratulate you for being on Ronald Reagan's um when you were there signing the disability, the Americans with Disability Act, for being in the Hall of Fame for your writing and the books that have won gold medallion awards. So many people don't know these things, Johnny, and I want them to know that when they walk with Jesus, he honors their lives. Mm. So thank you for doing what you are doing. 
Can you speak to what it means? One of your verses you've talked about is Acts 20, 24, which you said, it keeps me going. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. What does it mean to finish well? Well, I love that part in there. Finish the race and complete the task. Um, I've got the finish line in front of me and it is something to live toward, something to work toward, uh, something to strive toward. Um, and the task that I am charged with before I cross that finish line is to continue to testify daily mm. to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel didn't only save me when I first believed. The gospel is saving me each and every day when I wake up in the morning desperately needing Jesus. Every day. And, every the, gospel, day. and the gospel will one day save me completely when I'm through with sanctification and will step into that brand new glorified body and I'll have hands that work and feet that walk. I'll jump up, dance, kick, do aerobics. <gasps> I cannot wait for that day. Hallelujah. And until then, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to do something stupid. I don't want to stain God's reputation or smear the good name of Jesus. I want Jesus to be proud of me and to be pleased in me. And so I want to finish the race. I want to complete the task and I want to do it with an uncomplaining spirit. And, um, I, you know, I cannot wait for that day. Well, let, let me back up and say this. Um, you, some of your viewers may know that recently I sang a song that the Academy Award Committee um, nominated for an Oscar. Do they know it? I put it all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, the song was called Alone Yet Not Alone. And uh, about two weeks after they, um, they um, nominated the song, they rescinded the nomination. Right. But someone asked me, gee, aren't you, aren't you sad that you'll miss out on the Oscars? And I laughed, I said, oh my goodness. An Oscar is glittery, it's glamorous, it's glitzy, but it is nothing compared to that wonderful day when I'll cross the finish line and hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my Oscar and I can't wait for that day. And I wanna run the race and complete the task before me to hear those good words from my master. You will hear them loudly and clearly, I'm sure. In fact, when the Oscar, when it was rescinded, I thought, I wonder if it will get more viewing now that it's become a controversy. And I certainly hope that has happened. <laughs> I think that might be happening. I hope so. It's a wonderful song. In fact, Thank your you. prayer before it was wonderful because you were having a hard time breathing and you wanted your voice to be smooth. Yeah, and it shows me a lot of people in the Academy listen to that. And that's, that's really cool that they had a chance to observe that witness. Incredible that they included that. And Ken, you were there. My privilege. Johnny, can you sing a little bit of that song? I'm putting you on the spot. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Um, I'm alone, yet not alone. God's the light that will guide me home. With his love and tenderness, leading through the wilderness. And wherever 
Whatever I may roam, I'm alone, yet not alone. Nice song to end our time together on. I haven't learned the art of talking and crying yet. Maybe I will someday. But aren't we thankful that we're not alone? Amen. Absolutely. Ken, are there any words you want to say to our caregivers as we close? You're not abandoned. And I think that, that uh, for caregivers, especially, I mean, I, just like in marriage, I don't think, I don't see how they can do it without Jesus or how we can do it without Jesus. Um, that's the bottom line. I mean, all this I said about exercise and friends and being able to ask for help, you know, the bottom line, the bigger picture is knowing that Jesus is in, in this all because, you know, Colossians 3.23 says, you know, uh, do your work hardly as unto the Lord, not as unto men. And I'm doing what I'm doing for the Lord. It just so happens I'm married to a disabled wife. And, <laughs> and you know, I mean, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be working for the Lord. This is the place where he's put me. And I feel very, very much blessed. So that's what I would say. And they're not alone either, are they? They're not alone. Exactly. That song applies to you as well as to everyone else. But If people want to hear the song, they can go to our website at johnnyandfriends.org and click on Johnny's Corner. We've got that song posted there. Good. Let's end on that with a prayer. And Johnny, thank you. And thank you, Ken. So Johnny, as an ending prayer, will you just sing that chorus for us one more time? Okay. I'm alone. Yet not alone, God's the light that will guide me home. With his love and tenderness, leading through the wilderness. And wherever I may roam, I'm alone, yet not alone. God bless you, dear Colleen. You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you were impacted by today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you rated and reviewed the podcast, shared it on your social media, or share it with some friends who you think would be touched. You can email me personally at reframingministries at insight.org. If you'd like to be updated on reframing's activities and content, please feel free to subscribe on our website. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.